We're going to finish up the book of Revelation tonight, and uh, we're going to go into the book of Ephesians beginning next Sunday. Uh, there's uh, quite a bit of information there that's so relevant to the church today and what we're going through and so much information that we need to know and understand concerning our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it'll be a great study. And uh, it took, and there are a lot of bandages and, and balm and medicine that we find there from Ephesians and, and also uh, instructions on how we can overcome the devil and how we need to die every morning to self by dying to the old man and putting on the new man. So it'll be a great study. In Revelation 21 and 22, as we come to the end of Revelation, uh, we understand that we are moving into the final dispensation. The book of Revelation is made up. Is this thing on? It seems dead. It's probably because I didn't turn it on, huh? Why did you hand it to me without turning it on? <laughs> so, in the book of Revelation, we have three dispensations. Uh, and the word dispensation, by the way, is in the Word of God. Yeah. We'll find that when we get into the book of Ephesians. And the word dispensation means the way where God uh, deals with uh, us in a certain way during a certain period of time. And uh, we find that there are three uh, dispensational time periods that we have in the book of Revelation. And the first uh, is called the dispensation of help me out class. It would be called the dispensation of the dispensation of grace or the or the church age. What it, what dispensation are we in right now? We're in the dispensation of the church age. When Christ came, he brought it into the dispensation of the dispensation of the law. Before the dispensation of the law, there was the dispensation of promise. God had made many promises. And we could go all the way back to the dispensation of innocence. There are seven as we understand the Bible. Some different on that, but uh, they can. God uh, established government. And so man went from innocence uh, to consciousness, from consciousness uh, to being led by government. And then from government to promise and from promise to the law and from the law uh, to a period of what is called grace. And that's been the longest of all the dispensations. And then we have a very short dispensation as God, uh, in fact, we could call it a transitional dispensation because it's taking us into the next long period that lasts 4,000 years, and what dispensation would that be? The millennial kingdom. And so we do, some refer to the tribulation as a dispensation. I refer to it as a transition into the dispensation. It transitions us out of the dispensation of grace into the dispensation of the millennial age. Where in the dispensation of grace, God primarily works through the church. 
in the dispensation of the millennium, God works through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in setting up his government and allowing us to reign and rule with him as priests and kings. And it is all, and all of those dispensations are based upon how God works with mortal man. But when we get into the eternal dispensation, uh, mortal man will cease to exist. In fact, uh, we find that in that dispensation, there will not be anything that will die. Everything uh, in that dispensation will live forever. And everything in that dispensation will never grow old. And all that is in that dispensation will always be new. And it will be a glorious one. And it will be one uh, that uh, will be with God. will be forever with the Lord. And it is a beautiful, beautiful promise. It's a long ways off. We've got about a thousand seven years before we're going to get there. If the Lord was to rapture us out today, we'd still have a thousand seven years. But it'll be an exciting time for us because the a day of the Lord, that millennial day, will be exciting for us. Uh, and uh, when God finally brings us into that glorious dispensation, and then uh, we get to enter into that new Jerusalem, that's our city, and the gates to the new Jerusalem uh, will always be open, and there will be people outside of the gates, there'll be nations, there'll be kingdoms, there'll be people from all ages and all walks of life uh, that will not live in the city, but they will be in the kingdom, it'll be an everlasting kingdom. And they can freely come and visit the city, but we live there. And God has made that promise not only to us, uh, but to his children, Israel. Because God has espoused himself unto Israel, and his son has espoused himself unto a Gentile bride called the church. How exciting all of that is. And so it's the pastor's job to prepare people for that eternal kingdom. In fact, uh, just take your Bible for a moment and look over here. Uh, That's why I take my position very seriously, and every now and then God reminds me of how important the position is. And down through my lifetime, though I've never pastored a large church, I've pastored a church for several years that ran several hundred. But uh, whatever it is, 100, 200, 300, 500, or just 40 or 50 people, or just a dozen people, uh, whoever God puts in charge of those people, uh, is very important that they have... uh, the right testimony, and they lead uh, those that God had given them in the right direction. You know, Paul never pastored a large church. Most churches he pastored were churches in homes, and he was only there for a short time, and he turned them over to others that were there a little longer. But the story, but the the root of, of the story is that whoever is there and how long they stay there has responsibility to build the people up in the Lord. 
They have responsibility because God has given them the greatest office. Jesus pastored 12 men, and one of those men was the devil. And he was a betrayer. He turned his back on him. Of course, the Lord knew that. And look what those 12 men did as far as the world is concerned. And so it's an awesome responsibility. We have no idea what the outcome of our ministry and what your ministry and what this church's ministry will be until we get to heaven. Because as we reach people with the gospel and as they live their lives for Christ and they go out into the world and they begin to minister to people and they raise up children that are trained to love the Lord and they begin to reach others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no idea what the outcome and the, the amount of seed uh, that has been planted and how, how, how that seed has flourished until we get to heaven. So it's very important that pastors make sure they follow God's qualifications and be led of God's spirit. And it's very important that people recognize their authority because those preachers are preparing you for eternity. We saw over there in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll go there in just a moment. But there in Ephesians chapter 4, in which we will go and spend quite a bit of time there later, that God gave gifts unto the church. And those gifts were prophets. Uh, they were apostles. They were pastors. They were Amen. teachers, or they were evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints for building them up, for edifying them, and preparing them for eternity. Amen. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and verse number 7 that we are to remember them which have the rule over you because they are those who have spoken unto you the word of God. The Bible makes it very clear that it's their faith uh, that follows, and we are to consider the end of their conversation. In other words, he is making it very clear here uh, that the outcome of their conduct is very important. And so every pastor needs to make sure that he doesn't have a shameful outcome. It really troubles me when I hear a pastor that fall to the wayside, end up going to prison for child molestation, for molesting a teenager, or for stealing from the church and misappropriating funds. And those are things that uh, can really damage the testimony of a church and hurt many people. And so it's important we understand that. And so when a pastor uh, is faithfully serving the Lord and he's faithfully setting the right example, uh, God has instructed us to obey them. Notice he said in verse number 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they what? For they must watch for your souls, as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. There's going to come a time where we're all going to stand before the Lord and the Lord's going to hold me accountable for the way I've lived my life, for 
my faithfulness to be led of the Spirit, my faithfulness to proclaim God's Word, and then I'm going to be called on to give an account for your faithfulness. And if I can't do it, then that will not be profitable for you. And God's going to hold me accountable to make sure that I've done my job, I've been faithful, and I have been very, very diligent to live according to God's qualifications that he has set for. So it is very serious because we're preparing you for eternity. I said we would take a look at Ephesians 4. Let's just go there for a moment. Because God has eternity in mind for us, and this life is the preparation for that eternity. And so we read in Philippians chapter 4 that God has given gifts unto the church. And he says in verse number 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And in verse number 11, we don't want to get into the parentheses because we already talked about that in our Revelation study. But in verse number 11, when he gave gifts unto men, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And they are to do what? They are to be there and there to teach and there to preach by perfecting the saints. Perfecting the saints means that it's my responsibility to equip you. (laughs) That's why I get a little grieved when I look out in the congregation and I'm trying to equip you. And I see those, they're here. I see them. But I can see by the look on their face and by what they're doing that They're not really here. (laughs) They're somewhere else. And uh, it's very important that we give attention to the Word of God. That uh, we give ear. That's why the Lord said over and over again, He that hath an ear, let him hear. And so it's important that we hear. Because God is doing His best to equip us. And so the perfecting of the saints is for a purpose. To do the work of the ministry uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the word edifying means to build up. Uh, Every one of us have responsibility in working together to build up the body of Christ. Till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so he is very clear here that we have a responsibility as pastors to mature you along. And it's very frustrating when Christians are still babes and they're not maturing. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, I think it was Paul, but he said, you know, why are you still babes? I should be moving you on into deeper doctrine, but right now we've got to kind of rehearse salvation again uh, because you can't handle the strong meat. And God wants us to grow to that place to where uh, 
we begin to understand what the dispensations of the Bible is, Amen. where we understand the difference between redemption and sanctification, where we understand the difference between glorification and justification, where we can take our Bibles when someone asks us of the hope that lies within us, and we can share with them where our hope lies and take them to the Bible and explain to them about that blessed hope. Well, as we come <clears throat> to our final dispensation, uh, God uh, has several things here that he wants to bring out. And so you, we have an outline here. Uh, you can see that he wants us to know that this eternal kingdom is going to be a kingdom that will be made up of everything new, including a new earth and a new heaven. And then uh, he would have us to understand that he has something that he's going to present to his bride, and that is the new Jerusalem. What a gift that will be. Amen. A city of gold that has been prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ, wow. and it's going to come down from heaven uh, to where we are right now, but it'll be a brand new earth, much bigger than this earth, because uh, the city is going to hover over this earth. Some believe that the city will not sit upon the earth, and others believe that it will sit upon the earth. And I, one time, I, uh, as you grow in the Lord, you, you begin to understand it's important you study for yourself. And as I study the Bible, I hear to think, well, wait a minute, these nations and these kingdoms outside of that new city, how are they going to get into that new city? Are they going to fly up to the city? The Bible says they enter in through the gates. And so they're not flying through the gates, they're entering in through the gates. So I, just based on that, I believe that the city is going to be planted here on this new earth. And uh, the new earth is going to be a big earth because you can imagine a city that is 1,500 miles square, uh, that would, on the size of this earth, that would be kind of an awkward looking city. <laughs> uh, but I believe the earth is going to be much, much bigger. The atmospheric heavens are going to be much, much bigger. And... Uh, <clears throat> And, of course, everything will be so beautiful. But the Bible says that these things are not spiritual truths. Uh, these are literal truths. We, they're not truths that we can allegorize on. As you see there in the notes, there are some that argue that the new heaven and the new earth is the renovation of this heaven and earth. There are those that say, no, it's not the renovation of this earth because the former things are passed away. Uh, they're gone. As we read what Peter says, it's all been dissolved. It's all been burned up. So we are looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This earth has been cursed with sin, and God, just like he destroys his body, and he's going to make it brand new, he's going to destroy this earth, 
and he's going to give you something much better, something beautiful and something glorious. In fact, in Psalms 102, verse number 25 and 27, the psalmist said, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shall thou change them. Haste, and so he makes it very clear that they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So the Bible says that they shall perish. Now, I don't know what the word perish means to you, but to me, it means that it will not exist. But God is going to prepare something new. Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, verse number 17 said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. See, that goes along with what we read this morning from verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 21. In fact, let's go there and read it again, where he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he said, and he that sat upon the throne said... Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are what class? We don't come to the conclusion, well, they're allegorical, and it's up for interpretation. There are some that say, well, this is still, this is still millennial. This is a description of the millennial kingdom. Well, he said there's no more sea. When you study the millennial kingdom, and I've given you some quotes here from men like Barnhouse and, and Woolward, uh, they make a Woolward, uh, makes the argument that it's got to be a new kingdom because in the millennial kingdom there is water, there are oceans. They travel in ships to come to Jerusalem to pay homage and they travel from all various parts of the world as they come 
across the sea to Jerusalem and there are large bodies of water mentioned. And the Bible makes it very clear, but in the eternal kingdom, there is no sea. And so, to me, it's end of question. And uh, I believe that everything that we read concerning this new Jerusalem is to be taken literal. The streets are going to be streets of gold. You're going to walk on streets of gold. The walls are going to be made up of beautiful gems. The foundation is going to be a, a foundation of a rainbow of gems. And there's going to be a rainbow that will go from one end of the city to the other end and across the throne of God. It's going to be huge. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be joyful. And it's going to be exciting. And we're going to be there for all of eternity. And God gives us the description of this city, both inside the city and outside the city. And so we read of all these things, and we can't help but be excited. And it's going to be a place where there can be no one who would defile can come in. We read over in Revelation 21, verse number 6 through 8, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountains of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You say, well, preacher, that concerns me because, boy, that says something about what I once was. Well, it's not talking about what you once was, and so you can know no longer qualified to be there because of what you once was, is talking about what is that cannot go there. Uh, there are not going to be the behavior of fornicators in heaven. There's not going to be the behavior of liars in heaven. Uh, there's not going to be the behavior of people that act like dogs in heaven. doesn't mean that dogs won't be there. It just means you won't be doing what dogs sometimes do. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's what it means in case you were wondering well anyway we want to wrap it up by looking at what is called the epilogue <laughs> and in verse number 6 through 21 of Revelation 22 as we come to a conclu conclusion to our study uh, <clears throat> you can read uh, the measurements of the city uh, what is inside the city and what is outside the city uh, we've been there, we've talked about that before, but we want to conclude by looking at verse number 6 through the rest of uh, the chapter here. And so we'll read it, and then we'll comment on it, and then we'll go home. Notice in verse number 6, Revelation 22, and he said unto me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels 
to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. You see, the word of God makes it very clear. Hey, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen very soon. So he says, I, John, saw these things, and I heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Wow. You see, John thought that he was speaking to someone that was worthy of worship. He didn't realize he was speaking to one of his fellow brethren. But that's the way we're going to be throughout all of eternity. In glorified bodies that a mortal would mistaken us to be somebody that needs to be worshipped. And so, as we read on here, we see that, uh, verse number 10, as he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You see, in Daniel chapter 12, they were told to seal up the prophecy because the time is not at hand. But John was told after the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and after his ascension into heaven as he went to prepare a place for us, the time is at hand. Well, the time is at hand, has been at hand now for almost 2,000 years. And he has told us some things that make it much closer at hand. You see, they believe, Paul and Peter and John and the early church, believed Christ's imminent return in their day. But there were a lot of things that had to be fulfilled. And, of course, they thought they could be fulfilled very rapidly. But they weren't fulfilled rapidly. Israel was scattered, and they ceased to be a nation. They were scattered to the four corners of the world. And so the church, out of the grace of God, now had time to do what the church needs to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But we are now living in a day and time where that message has been broadcasted out to the entire world through media, through television, through radio, through pamphlets, uh, through social media. Uh, the message is getting out to where even in parts of the world to where they've never heard it, now they're hearing it. They're hearing it in Muslim countries. They're hearing it in... Uh, countries like China, uh, as they've gotten through the Iron Curtain, through the broadcast of radio, and uh, through all the various means that we have uh, digitally to get the message out. And so the world has heard the gospel. Many have had the opportunity to be saved. And so now it's time for the Lord to come. Israel is in their homeland. 
Everything is now ready. We have uh, iniquity abounding. We have all the fulfillments of those things that talk about the birth pangs uh, that uh, mean that, hey, the world is ready to give delivery so that uh, Jesus Christ can come and set up his kingdom. All of these things are happening. And we're living in uh, very unusual days. And there's many of us that see that. We sense it. Uh, we, we got that feeling in our bones that the Lord could come at any moment. And I know they've been talking about it for years. But we've never seen a time like we see today. We've never seen such apostasy. We've never seen such quick developments of what is going on. Who would have ever thought in this day and time we would be living in a moment where uh, they have gender confusion? Who would have ever thought that we'd be living in a day and time where it's morally right to kill a born child? Uh, all of these things are things that are coming upon us, and we're living in a day and time where all we need is one radical to push a little red button and all of a sudden, we could be in World War III. We're living in a day and time where Russia has already announced that we're in World War III. And they are preparing for World War III. We're living in a day and time where China has threatened the greatest nation, the most powerful nation, the most fearsome nation on earth. That is the United States because they have now the ability they have uh, everything that is needed to go to war against the United States. Uh, and so we are living in unusual days. We have Israel caught up in the middle of it. And so we uh, cannot help those that understand their Bible and believing we're in those final days. And we'd be ready in such an hour as we think not for the Son of Man cometh. Jesus Christ made it very clear that these words are faithful and true. They are going to happen. He is at hand. Notice in verse number 11, he says, And he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So behold, he says, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Again, as he said earlier, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, or the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs, we explained that earlier, <laughs> and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. We haven't found the church mentioned in the book of Revelation after chapter 3 until we come to this verse. Yeah. 
And so now he's warning us. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say come, and let him that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see, God has given out his invitation. The invitation is freely given. All can come. All are invited, but they must come by being overcomers. We've already talked about what the overcomer is. One who puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he makes it very clear in verse number 18. This is Jesus speaking. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things, again he saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. You know, the Lord has warned us three times, I come quickly. I remember the story about a young preacher preaching for his first time. He's standing behind the pulpit. And he was quite nervous, and he read that text, and he says, Behold, I come quickly. And he kept stuttering, Behold, I come quickly. And he just kept leaning forward and said, Behold, I come quickly. And he fell off the podium right into this old lady's lap that was sitting on the front row. And he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, Oh, no, you don't need to apologize. You warned me three times you were coming quickly. Well, the Lord has warned us three times he's coming quickly. (laughs) Let me just wrap this up. We find the authenticity of the eminence of Christ's return, as we've already read to you these verses, where he says, Behold, I come quickly. John certifies that he is an eyewitness to what has been written, as we see there in Revelation 22, verse number 8 through 11. And God has given us that witness, and so now John reaffirms the blessings. The blessings that we saw in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3, well, the blessings are to those who will hear and obey what the Lord has for us, as we see in Revelation 22, Verse number 14 through 18. Jesus Christ certifies the authenticity of the testimonies of this book. He authenticates it. He puts his seal upon it. And he says, these words are faithful and true. Now, that's enough for me. And therefore, he gives warning that those that would set out to willfully distort what is in this book. You say, well, it's only in reference to the book of Revelation. Well, did you realize this book is quoting from the entire book? We have quotes going all through the Bible from this book. 
In fact, we would just say that this book is a quotation of the book. And so he's in reference to anyone that would tamper with the word of God. He makes it very clear. It parallels with Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2 and Deuteronomy 12 and verse number 32 and Proverbs 30 verse number 5 and 6 and Galatians chapter 1 verse number 6 and 7 where the Bible makes it very clear that God has given us his word and that we have responsibility to be good students and custodians of God's word and we're not to add to it or we're not to take from it or he'll make to us an anathema. An anathema means someone that is cursed. We find that through these scriptures. If we had time, we would go back and look at those scriptures. That's why I give you those notes so you can read them later. And so, as I already stated, those who would argue uh, that uh, it's just for the book of Revelation, you'll find that these are quotes all through the Bible. And so we have the final promise, and there again, I want you to notice what that final promise is. In verse number 20 and 21, the Lord Jesus says, He which testifieth these things say, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You want to have God's grace upon you? And then you be faithful to obey God's word. You be faithful to read it. You be faithful to apply it. And God has promised you a special blessing. Let's just go back to chapter 1 and we'll read verses 1 through 3 and then we're going to be done. And next week we'll get into the book of Ephesians chapter 1. But notice in Revelation chapter 1 beginning with verse number 1. The revelation of who? which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, who was that angel? It was one of the brethren that John was going to worship. And he said, oh, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just one of the brethren. But there's somebody in heaven that God has given special revelation to of all these events that he was able to share it with John. I wonder who that someone is. Could be Moses. It could be Enoch. It might even be Elijah. But I would imagine it's probably Moses. But when we get to heaven, we're going to find out. But notice he says, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimonies of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So whoever this person was, was someone that was able to bear record. Well, Moses bore record of a lot of that, did he not? Pretty interesting thought there. So what does he say? Verse number three. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. 
that's why my spirit gets grieved when I go through such an important passage of Scripture and I see such a disinterest among some people. And I have to acknowledge that you know, it may just be one or two, but sometimes the devil draws my attention to that one or two. <laughs> and, and then everybody gets chewed out for it. <laughs> but uh, how important it is. You know, see, Jesus cares for every one of us. And um, even though it may just be one person, Jesus Christ loves that one person so much that he would have came into this world and went to the cross and died for just that one person if that's the only person that needed the salvation. And that's how much we should care for those people as well. It ought to burden us and concern us when uh, we see a lack of concern for the things of God. Not that we would be angry at them, but we would be burdened for them. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. 